0: Well, in our uh, study today, we're looking at a, a big portion of scripture in Acts 17, verse 16, all the way to 18, verse 17. And in this passage, there's two stories that are being told. One is of Paul in Athens, and the and the second half in verse 18 is um, the work that was done in Corinth. And, and this church planting work that Paul and the team were a part of was... Difficult, exhausting, exciting, and exhilarating. It was everything wrapped up in one. And the work that Paul was doing was was really going into hard places with the gospel message and, and feeling opposition. And it was um, exhausting and discouraging. Um, it was, you know, ideas and thoughts and debating people and rhetoric. I can remember uh, when Liz and I were in Guinea Uh, The people used to kind of, not kind of, they made fun of us because we spent so much time studying and asking them questions. Um, They were farmers and they were used to physical labor and working really hard. And so, you know, when it came time for us to do literacy in the village, they began to like read books and were holding pencils and writing. And I remember my language helper specifically saying, "Oh man," as he's like, you know, over his piece of paper sweating and his hand is sweating he was like now i get it why you guys are so tired from the this kind of mental kind of work and i was happy and he was laughing it was it was such a funny little story but this is the work that paul was involved in and in corinth he was discouraged he was actually down and there's some verses here that are are just amazing Uh, tender words from From God, words of encouragement to Paul in chapter 18, verses starting in verse 9, it says this And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months. Teaching the word of God among them, man. So this was just a huge word of encouragement that Paul needed in that moment of discouragement, and um, God faithfully gave that to him. And he ended up staying for a year and a half, um, just teaching and investing in in the church there in Corinth. The rest of our time, we're going to look at um, the beginning here at seventeen uh, verses sixteen through thirty three. Uh, where we see Paul um preaching a message in Athens and and this is a a sermon that um not my sermon the sermon that Paul gives in um Acts 17 there is a sermon that is well known man there's a, so many blogs uh YouTube videos sermons given about this one this is a really familiar well-known passage in acts you know it's it's one of those times where people have studied paul's approach to how he did ministry in this uh, secular um, philosophical city of athens and um, you know it's something that many people have gleaned and learned lessons from and we're going to do that too but let me begin by reading this passage for us together so starting in acts Chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So Paul comes to Athens, this great city. It's still, you know, well known as as a place where, um, you know the greek civilization really had its foundation the romans as they took over greece uh, they kept it because they loved this this city they loved greek culture and so they wanted to kind of preserve this and it ended up being a place still where philosophers and people with ideas would come and kind of talk about them and share those ideas and so paul finds himself there in athens And he goes around and he discovers a city full of idols and full of philosophers, which he he probably knew. But we see a number of things in our story here today. And the first thing that we see is that Paul went to them. Like literally Paul left his home wherever he was staying or hotel or guest place. I'm not sure where he was, but he left it and experienced the life of the people there in Athens. It says that he set out and he saw, you know, the the marketplace and he saw the idols. Paul is very much um, putting into practice the mindset, uh, you know, a missionary mindset of going to be with people. I don't know about you, but I can and, and many of us, I think, can tend to not think that way or not act that way. We tend to choose comfort. We we tend to choose familiarity, things that we know, people that we know. It can be um, fun for a little while to have an adventure and to go see new things and experience new stuff. We often do that on vacation. I don't know about you, but when I come back from vacation, I'm often super exhausted because I have pushed myself, you know, even something as simple as camping, you know, push myself beyond my norm, not the things that I'm familiar with and maybe riding a little more adrenaline than what i'm used to and uh, i'm tired and so being with like-minded people especially for us as believers is comforting and it's um, healthy for us it's encouraging Um, but we see here this this example of paul to see to go and be to be out with people in the life of the city so that we can know what people's um, hopes, their dreams, what their beliefs are. And Paul not only goes out and sees, but he actually uses his gifts. So we see that he begins to preach. He begins to um, use rhetoric and to kind of explain his worldview to them. So he's using his gifts in the place that is the city, that, that is the place where the people are and, and this is our calling as well. All of us as believers are called to be a light to people around us, to be near people who do not know Christ. We're also called to be with believers. That's a healthy and good thing, and we need that. Um, but we're also called to be close to those who do not know Christ. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You will shine among them. Paul is using this imagery of stars, of of things that are seen by people. They're looked at and they're seen and they're known. And he says. Our lives will be a testimony to people. And we can't do that when we're not seen, when we're not in close proximity to people. And so, man, we should be um, known by our neighbors. We should be known by our coworkers. We should be known by the people who um, are in our sphere of influence or in our circles of life. And, And this is part of what we're even doing as a citizen's church is together as missional families, we are wanting to reach out and, and be this light as a missional family so that we're not just alone. We want to do this actually together. So when there's the temptation to kind of pull back and to just uh, be with our own people, be with those things that we're familiar with, we see here Paul's example of then going out. And seeing the the world, seeing the people, so that we're familiar with them. We know um, what they're thinking and and even the the hopes and the dreams that they have. So the second thing that we see is that um, Paul begins to reveal for them their thinking. And he also tells them about a, a greater ultimate reality than what they are looking at and what they are experiencing So there's three things that Paul experiences and and sees right away when he's there. One is that they are dedicated to mass idolatry, right? It says there's idols all over the place. And um, we know from historical records that Athens and many of the Roman cities were full of idols. We also see, though, that they placed a high value on knowledge and philosophy. So in the text, it talks about these, these Epicureans and these Stoics. These were different philosophical viewpoints and they would debate each other. And so Paul's like, man, you guys love to debate ideas and philosophies. And the third thing that he sees is that they're preoccupied by hearing new things. So in the beginning, when Paul is out in the marketplace and talking to them and he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection, they're like, hmm, this sounds intriguing and interesting. Why don't you come and tell us some more? Because we love new ideas we love to hear all kinds of new things and so paul does that he actually begins to explain and he preaches this amazing sermon from verse 22 all the way to about we didn't even read it all but all the way to about 31 he's explaining in this message um this worldview this christian worldview but one thing that he does is he does it with like great gentleness and compassion and kindness and i just want to stop here and kind of point that out be be really clear because like in our age of twitter and facebook and instagram and all the you know websites um it is so easy for christians to um be unkind to be um defensive or even offensive in the way that we talk about Christianity, the way that we talk about people who aren't believers. We, we go on the attack, you know, on the attack really quickly. And here we see Paul not taking that tone with, with these philosophers. He really comes in kind of gentle yet truthful. And, you know, throughout scripture, we are called to be people of love, kindness, and truth luke 6 35 says this but love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked so our example is god himself he's kind to people that are wicked and ungrateful 1 Corinthians 13, this amazing chapter on love, verse 4 says this, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Galatians 5.22, when talking about the fruit of the Spirit, says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. These are the things that should mark believers, even when we're, talking to people who are um, aggressively opposed to Christianity or to the idea of God, our motivation is, is love and our motivation is the glory of God. And we we communicate and we, we, we dialogue and we share these ideas with kindness and with grace. So when Paul you know, boiled down his message, he, he didn't uh, beat around the bush, you know, kindness didn't mean that he wasn't talking about truth anymore. He went straight for it and wanted to point them to this, this greater ultimate reality. So as he's kind of deconstructing their belief system, he's going to place before them this uh, clear message of a greater ultimate reality. So he goes straight for the idols, right? And he talks about idols. And, and man, does that mean that Paul's example is not really applicable for us? We don't have idols. You know, there's no idols in our uh, community, in our town. Do, do we still have idols? Um, hopefully, you know, or if you don't, I'll make it clear here that we do have idols. We have lots of idols. There are things that um, every culture, every time, every place... Um, has things that we value and we in a sense give our allegiance and put our trust in that are idols. Uh, They may not be physical representations but idols are things that we cling to that essentially represent God. They are things that we hold on to that we know and we love and they give us all the things that God was meant to give us. So even us as believers, we are. Um, you know, we may be uh, call ourselves Christian, or you may know people that call themselves Christian, and yet um, something like their career or their children or their looks may end up being their idol. and And how does this look? If If I'm consumed by my career, if what I think about. And the thing that really motivates me is, man, moving forward in my work and people recognizing the things that I'm doing. I'm getting pats on the back. I'm getting maybe raises. I'm kind of moving my way up the uh, company. I'm feeling like the, the money that I'm earning is increasing. So my security, my confidence, the things that I'm hoping for are deeply connected to this career and if I'm not getting the pat on the back, if I'm getting, you know, if things are slipping at work and nobody's affirming what I'm doing, man, I'm fearful about my future. I'm worried. I'm depressed. These things are, this is ultimately an idol in my life. Or maybe it's not a career. Maybe it's um, beauty or your looks, right? you trying to look a certain way the usually it's the way our culture and society uh, says beauty should look and you're keeping it up and everything you know you think you look beautiful and then suddenly there comes the wrinkle or there comes the gray hair and you try to fight this and ultimately you're you're happy if you're fitting the model of what you think beauty is or you're depressed because you know age And the beauty that can't be attained is like stalking you day by day, year by year. This is what an idol is. And we here in Canada and everywhere, we are surrounded by idols. And so when Paul deconstructs the idols in Athens here, that same thing applies to us today. That we all need our idols deconstructed. And and Paul is not um, beating around the bush. He's being super clear. And, and later in chapter 19, we'll get to this actually in future studies here. But in 19, the same thing happens where Paul is uh, addressing idols. And it, it, one of the um, speakers there, um, I believe his name is Demetrius. He comes and explains to them um, you know what it is that that Paul is actually saying when he's talking about the idols that they are holding on and in verse in chapter 19 I'm just looking for the verse here verse 26. here's what Demetrius says. He says, "And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia this Paul, has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Demetrius is clear with what Paul is saying. Paul he, even though he's compassionate, he's kind in how he's doing it. When they boil it down, Demetrius says what what Paul is saying is these gods, these things that we are holding on to that we are trusting in, they are not gods at all. They are just stone images. They are just things that we hang on to. And that's what's actually making Demetrius really uh, against what Paul is doing. So Paul is super clear as he's deconstructing it. But he leaves a bridge of hope for them. In Back in Acts 17, verse 30, it says this. He's, he's given his sermon... The times of ignorance, God has overlooked, and he says, but, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That but is extremely important. This is the the word of hope that Paul has for them. He is he is trying to explain to them that, man, this this thing that you're searching, this knowledge, this idol that you're sacrificing to this way of life this type of seeking that you're doing is pointing you to a greater ultimate reality than these idols it's actually pointing you towards god and and now paul is saying what i'm here telling you to do is to turn to this god that's what repent means it means to turn away from what you're looking at and turn towards god and and paul is saying I want to point you to this greater ultimate reality, which is the person of Jesus Christ. And that's the message that Paul has been preaching. He's been preaching it everywhere he goes. And it's what he's preaching now. So in verse 24, he talks about God as creator. In verse 30, he talks about God as judge, that we were meant to worship him. And now Paul is trying to to point them towards this greater Ultimate reality, the ultimate answer found in Jesus. Tim Keller, in his book, Center Church, when writing about how the Apostle Paul shared the gospel throughout the book of Acts, he says this. In every gospel presentation, there is an epistemological challenge. It's a big word that that basically means people are being told that their understanding of God and ultimate reality is wrong. So he starts with that. There's also a personal challenge regarding sin. So that's the second piece. And then lastly, then there's a proclamation of Christ as the answer and solution to their sin problem. And that's what Paul is doing here in in the last part of his message. He is preaching to them the gospel. He's pointing them to the ultimate reality, which is not a thousand philosophies, not a thousand gods. It's found in one person. It's in Jesus Christ. All the things that they've been looking for, all the things that they've been longing for, putting their hope in, all those things were meant to be put in Jesus Christ. All their hope was meant to be put in him. And what is their response to this? Look at chapter 17, verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead some mocked but others said we will hear you again about this verse 33 says so paul went out of their midst but some men joined him and believed among whom also were dionysius the areopagite and a woman named damaris and others with him so they actually put two names i just butchered the town where he's from but they put down two names of people that actually came but some completely just rejected it they mocked this they're like this is a joke man we just want to hear ideas we don't want to hear about this ultimate reality of jesus christ the ultimate answer others were like "Hmm, no let me think about this some more and some believed and i don't know about you but this is still the case today that when you preach the gospel for some people it's a joke They think that you are crazy or that they couldn't believe that you actually would believe that thing. It's laughable in their minds. Others, maybe you think about it, would take it or leave it. And some put their hope and their trust in Jesus. And so Paul uses this sermon to to get them to think about the idols in their life. And um, for us, it's the same. I hope that this message wouldn't just get you thinking about the idols that other people have, but maybe it would get you thinking about what are the idols that you have. You know, it might be money. Often money is an idol that you spend your whole life working, earning, buying things. And the question is if it was taken away, would you still find your full hope and everything you need in Jesus? Or maybe it's your kids. You know, they are everything to you. And so if your kid. Or kids were taken from you? Or if they left you, like the story of the prodigal son, would all of your hope be gone? Or maybe it's beauty, we talked about that already. You know, when, not if your beauty will fade, when your young, youthful beauty will fade, will it be enough to have the unmerited acceptance of Christ? as you're entered in as a beloved child, accepted not because you look beautiful, not because you're like partially beautiful, you're fully accepted as a beloved child of God because of the gospel. Man, even as I say those three examples, I think there are still idols in my own heart that Christ needs to crush so that he becomes everything for me. And so the gospel message needs to be preached to our communities, but we also need to preach it to ourselves over and over and over again because we tend to regularly pick up new idols that we hold on to. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 20, Paul says this, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And we preach Christ crucified. And through that message, through our weak bodies, through our weak lives, God uses it and he saves both Jew and Gentile to his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, may we stand on it with confidence, knowing that your Holy Spirit works through this preaching of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you are glorified as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen.